Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Listen again to the Word of God. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. <coughs> but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Calls from God can be scary things. Tell someone God spoke to you and you may be in danger of being locked up. Or you could get your own reality TV show. It's hard to tell which will happen these days. But if God has spoken to you in your life, the chances are that it wasn't exactly a voice. It may have been a thought you couldn't shake or an idea that just seemed too crazy or irrational. Once I was called to pastor a church, but I found that I was not the only person in that church community who had a specific calling from God. I saw it over and over, people claiming their calls by God. Calls to work with youth or preschoolers or older adults. Calls to attend to the church's physical facility and thank goodness for them. Calls to work with the finances of the church. Calls to work not only within our church community but outside the church. Calls to work with the homeless and the hungry and the aged. Calls to work with the earth. Calls to be good accountants and bankers and teachers and doctors and calls to be good moms and dads and grandparents and neighbors. There was not one person in that church community, 
in this church community or in any other who has not been called by God. All of us are known by God. All of us have been called by God to specific tasks and God will supply everything we need to fulfill our callings. When we do fulfill our callings, when we live our lives, not only will it be good for us, but it will be good for the whole people of God. Now, if there are any Harry Potter fans out there, you will remember the call or calls that young Harry got to attend the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Owls brought letter invitations to the house daily where Harry was staying with his less-than-kind foster parents. But they try, as best they can, to destroy all of them. They even try escaping to a cabin on a remote island, a remote island where hopefully no owls will find them. But then, just like a calling from God, the umpteenth invitation arrives. And please don't ask me how many teenths are in an umpteenth. The difference between this invite and all the rest is that this one is personally delivered by an angry giant of a man named Hagrid. And Hagrid would not leave without Harry. Well, I think God's call for Jeremiah was something like that. It was relentless and it was inevitable. The prophet speaks to something many of us already know. Namely, we do not choose God. God somehow mysteriously and against our will chooses us. Jeremiah says that he heard the word of the Lord. But the real sense of the passage is that the word of the Lord happened to him. This was an event. Not only had God followed him like a spiritual detective from the beginning, but with God's awesome command of logic, there is a response to every one of Jeremiah's objections. Jeremiah was not going to get away from this one and go about his merry way. This was an event, and God had him right where he wanted him. Maybe Maybe that is what God has in mind for each one of us. Some moment, some awareness when we say yes to God. But acceptance or resignation usually only happens after a struggle. And that is true in our story this morning. Jeremiah is not easily cornered, especially after being asked to be a prophet to all the nations which would have been a terrifying idea to anyone who had been given this call. The Hebrew word here for nations is goyim, and it was used in the day to refer to the enemies of Israel, those who sought the nation's destruction. So God's vision for this job was about as difficult as any sane Israelite could ever imagine. Jeremiah was so desperate to wiggle out of this call that he tried the same strategy first attempted by Moses, who said he could not speak. Maybe Jeremiah forgot that 
that particular ploy did not work so well with Israel's great leader either. But you know, making excuses goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it still continues today. Oh, I couldn't do that. I'm just a layperson. I never went to seminary. I don't have much to give. I'm not very good with kids. I'm too new to this church to help. Stop me any time here because we all sound like Jeremiah from time to time, but the difference for him was that the stakes were enormous. In actuality, the reasons for not doing something that relates to God's work are often reasonable and justifiable, at least in our minds. Most of us are not trained for these tasks, or if trained, we feel we are ill-prepared. But God does not tell this to Jeremiah. He doesn't say, look, Jeremiah, don't worry. I have a trade school for prophets. You will learn everything you need to know there. Instead, instead he says, don't be afraid which just happens to be an angelic message rather common throughout the entire Bible story. Fear not is an offer of salvation and a promise of protection. God promised to shade or guard Jeremiah. I think at the heart of this call, and maybe every call issued down through the ages, is the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That means God will lift my fear of failure or even death so that it has no hold over me. That is God's promise to Jeremiah and to each of us as well. No matter how far we run from the call of God, no matter how many reasonable excuses we offer, God is there watching out for us and even giving us the words to say. We are assured that God loves us and will continue to love us as we go about the work that he has called us to do. And the cornerstone of that work is reflecting the love that God has for us, for others to see. And if you are curious what form that love is to take, Paul seems to address that in our second reading this morning, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But I think Paul would be a little surprised to discover that this most challenging and grace-filled ode to love has now become a staple of secular and quasi-religious marriage ceremonies. This may be because there is an acute absence of any reference to God or Jesus Christ in his words. If we are to get at its theological meaning, we must place it back in Paul's letter and remind ourselves of the author's original intention. Apparently, Paul had heard that some members of the Corinthian congregation were trying to enhance their status based on their particular spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, Paul has countered this by asserting that all spiritual gifts are manifest... Mana <laughs> those things, manifestations of the Spirit of God. 
He likens the church to a body of diverse members, each playing an essential role for the good of the whole. Then in our reading from chapter 13, lest there be any lingering doubt about the folly of taking pride in one's knowledge or one's capacity to speak in tongues or prophesy, Paul claims that love trumps all, all other gifts. If I, if I do all these things that I say I do, but do them or any one of them without love, well, then... I am nothing. I gain nothing. I am no better than a noisy gong as far as God is concerned. Paul's letter is written to a community of people to whom God's love has been revealed in Jesus Christ. Their love is supposed to be a response to God's gracious love. And it is from this relationship that all their spiritual gifts spring. However, they have turned it into a contest. The greatest gift gets the best seat in the house. Or the greatest gift gets to go first at the weekly potluck dinners. But the love Paul has in mind here is the reality of God's presence in our lives and the very basis of our humanity. For Paul, our capacity to flourish as human beings is only realized to the extent that we can live in the love of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He tells the Corinthians, and he tells us, that love actively expresses itself in patience and kindness, rejoicing in the truth, and in bearing, believing, hoping, and enduring all things. This love Paul describes is not envious. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant, rude, irritable, or resentful. Nor does it insist on its own way. Is this kind of love even humanly possible as a personal attitude for us? Not really. But... But it is possible as the presence, God's love in Christ crucified, and in a community of believers who live in that love. To belong to God's church in Corinth, or God's church here, or God's church anywhere, is to be an agent of God's love in the world, not seeking one's own advantage, but working on the behalf of others. Paul makes it clear that this is no ordinary love, that this love is not simply on a par with the aforementioned spiritual gifts. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, and knowledge all bear the imperfection and partiality of the present age, and they will come to an end. But love never ends. Love in the, Paul, in the form Paul discusses manifests the age to come. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Our dim mirror-like sightings will one day become face-to-face -face visions. 
and our partial knowledge will become full. That's real good news for those of us who read scripture with the Bible in one hand and a commentary in the other and more often than not can be heard to exclaim, what? But if our quest for knowledge, whether through science or theology, is rooted in this agape love, then the knowledge we seek is of the one who already knows us fully. As Paul says in his chapter 8, anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. The love that is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a love we experience as God's unshakable grasp upon our lives, the same thing I think Jeremiah experienced. This love is the source of our greatest security and our freedom to actually be patient, to be kind, to bear all things, and to not insist on our own way. There is a real danger that comes with our misuse or misrepresentation of our gifts that we have been given that can lead to our belief that we have mastery over all of them. Paul is unmasking these perceptions in the church at Corinth, and his words unmask the same attitudes in the larger church in every day and age where our insisting on our own way wreaks havoc with other people and with the environment. Every spiritual gift will end. All the monuments that we human beings create will eventually crumble to dust. Even human life will come to an end. But while we are in this life, we are given an opportunity to grow in love from childhood to adulthood and from immaturity to full spiritual maturity. The beautiful irony of it all is that is the fact that the one thing that lasts forever is the love that is given away. Even though no one person can make complete sense of all his or her experiences in this world or see clearly what lies beyond this world, each person can trust in the permanence and persistence of God's divine love. In Christ, believers are known and chosen by this divine love. In an anxious world that grasps for the permanent, the eternal is given through the experience of sacrificial love. Brothers and sisters, may our lives become the conduit of that love to others from God through Christ. That is our calling. Amen.